Well, as Chris said a little bit ago, um, I'm doing a five-Sunday series, um, not consecutively. We'll do two this week and then next week, and then uh, I believe Pastor Marta's on, and then I come back and finish up these uh, other three after that. But it's all about Paul's letters, and I'm calling it Paul's Fired Up Letters because it is really, really, really difficult to look at these few short letters of Paul in the New Testament and not think like, Holy cow, that guy is lit up, you know, like he is on it. And we just, we go after the, the crim to crim here with the very first one uh, with Galatians. So um, if you have your Bible, if you want to bring it up on your phone or whatever, you'll do well to have Galatians there. This really could have easily, you could spend a year just on Galatians. It's so packful and it's so critical to everything. But when you're reading the New Testament, it really is impossible it's impossible to escape the Apostle Paul and how fired up he is in his words. And you really get a, a personality read on the guy. Like, what kind of person is he? Now, I don't know about you, but I've spent several decades being a Christian. And I've got a really strange imagination because you're reading the Bible and you start thinking these guys like Paul. And you're like, what was Paul like? What is this guy? You know, I mean, um, he's not married. Did he choose to not get married or he just couldn't get married? Because the guy is really, really intense. Like, could anybody tolerate the guy? And, you know, or was he the super debonair, cool dude who walked into a room like some sort of celebrity status and everybody just went, wow. But I got to tell you, apologetically, I tend to default to an image of Paul as sort of strange. As a matter of fact, I'm an old guy and a movie always came to mind when I thought about Paul and it's Marty Feldman's Igor in the old Mel Brooks movie, Young Frankenstein. And I, cause he had an eye problem. Sorry. I know it's not supposed to probably say that, but, and, and I just think of Marty Feldman. Okay. Well, I'm moving on. Um, whatever image you want, that's fine. But that's what I tend to uh, apologetically think about on who is Paul. Most of the time, though, you got to think of Paul as this really, really intelligent, aggressive, wild man, unrelenting. He has no problem. Here in Galatians, he confronts Peter, the apostle Peter, the first bishop of the church, confronts him to his face. He's that kind of a person. He's all fired up. He's fired up all the time. And uh, I also think it's probably difficult to get close to Paul. And yet, he had this bottomless compassion for people. And especially for the people who were marginalized and less in his day. He considered himself really a nobody. He called himself and the others, we are the dregs of the earth. And... Um, and that's his self-opinion. He even called himself as one untimely born, that he didn't even really fit in with the rest of the apostles. He's the least of the apostles, he calls himself. And yet, Paul is this celebrity, and he's out there, and he's writing these letters, and Christianity would not be Christianity without him. So look no further than Paul's fired-up personality than his letters, uh, letter to the Christ, the Christ followers in Galatia. Ah, Galatians. So keep in mind that Galatians is not a city or a town or a village. 
It is written to a province, uh, a Roman province during the Greco-Roman period in uh, what we would call Asia Minor these days, which is really technically right around Ankara, Turkey right now. So here you have it, if I can get my little pointer going. So here's Galatia right here. It's sort of, here's Ankara, by the way. And um, the Holy Land is down here. At least I can't see it, maybe you can. Um, and then like Philippi and Corinth is way over there. And uh, Ephesus is around here. So, but this is where we're talking. All right, here in the middle. So he's talking to a whole region of Christians, which means the problem is big that he's addressing. It's not just localized in one small place. Galatia is about the same location here as in Turkey, and it's this widespread region and, and not just a localized deal. So this is, tells us two things then, that Christianity had really, really taken off, and two, um, it involved a lot of people, and it had a large problem to go along with a large audience, okay? You also have to understand that we think of converts to Christianity as people who had no background of a monotheistic God or anything like that. Who he's really talking to is primarily the first people who are becoming Christians are really Jews, they're Hellenized Jews. If you hear that word Hella or Helena, you know you're talking Greek. And it means the Jews have spread out around the Roman Empire because they can. And they're trying to get away from some types of oppression and be able to run their businesses and so forth. And so the, Paul would go to the synagogues where the Jews are first and tell them about Jesus and how he is the Messiah. Okay, so don't get the idea that these are all just what you might typically called categorically pagan, in other words, they had no, or that they were following the, the Greek gods or Roman gods or whatever. It's not the set. It, by this time, though, around 60 AD, it's a combination, mostly driven by the Jews, who are sort of the we know, we know it all people, and then the pagan people who are sitting around saying, what do you mean, um, this Jewish god? So you have this really mixed up kind of thing going on. So, Immediately in Galatians, right at the beginning, if you have your Bible open, right there in chapter 1, there's the um, typical salutation, the greeting, um, and you have Paul, he's all, he's, and immediately goes right there to verse 6, and he's all fired up, and he's on the offense. And he starts off polite. Yeah, he does. Here we go. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Hi, everybody. Okay, and then he goes, hey, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting, there's a powerful word, deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel. There's only one gospel, he says. But there are some who are confusing you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. There's his thesis for the letter. He set it down right there. You guys got a problem? And astonished is a polite word. What in the world are you doing over there in Galatia? Paul wonders. We cut to the chase, and apparently the converted Jews and the former pagans are being swayed by traditional Jews who are teaching that these Christ followers, teaching these new Christ followers, that you have to follow the Old Testament Torah, the law, the Ten Commandments, and the law of the prophets, which is over 600 laws, you know, such as can you tie a knot on Sundays, I mean on the Sabbath, on Saturdays, and can you make a fire? How big of a fire? How far can you walk? 
all of this legalism type stuff. And that's completely anathema to what Jesus Christ came to do. So Paul's fired up because Jesus the Messiah, and we have to use the word Messiah here instead of Christ. The Messiah, Jesus is God's covenant fulfiller, has completed the law of the Torah, and Jesus has ushered ushered in a new era. A new relationship with God and others is now possible. The world shifted. The ground shifted. Time changed. It's no longer what everything was. The clock has moved. Time and space have brought the Holy Spirit in to dwell with the believers. They're in the heart of the believer, not external in the Torah. The law, the temple, the kosher food taboos, insider Jew versus outsider Gentile, all of that is over. This is what Christianity is ushering in, a equalizing and an elevating of all people, especially in that very, very first church which set the standard. And yet, these traditionalist Jews are trying to move the clock back. Paul will have none of it. He's fired up. I'm astonished you're deserting the grace and presence of Christ. Notice he's using Christ here so the Greeks will understand this whole thing. It's not even the old Messiah. And he's certainly not saying Jesus. He's talking about the title of Christ. He makes sure that we're talking about this, 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 uh, this person that became something more than just a human being. And certainly more than just an Old Testament prophet. And fulfilling Moses, who is, of course, the rock star of Judaism. Paul is preaching Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified, the one who abolished the law by becoming once and for all the one-time atoning sacrifice. And then we go to to Galatians chapter 2. Famous, famous verse. 2.19 in your Bible. For through the law, I died to the law, Paul says. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness comes through the law... Then Christ died for nothing. This thing is so packed. And most of the time we miss it because we're first off, Paul is talking about himself. It's completely personal. Christ died for him. It's not some esoteric, abstract thing. This is personal. This is a new thing. This is not about belonging to the the group, the religious group. This is about transformation. It's so powerful. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. If you don't get that down. Okay, here we go. I'm going there, man. Repeat after me. It is no longer I who live. Yeah, that's what we're talking right here. But Christ who lives in me. All right, I have that memorized by the time church is over. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now, if you're... Any kind of an old-timer Christian, you know, a couple of years or whatever, someone has told you you got to have this memorized, Galatians 
And it ought to be committed to memory. It's critical and central to Christianity. Uh, so you got a few minutes here to get that down, and then there'll be a pop quiz at the end. Um, no, seriously, we're talking about life and death. We're talking about one's identity. Galatians 2.20 is famous and memorized because it sums up the result of, Jesus, of the gospel in Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. We throw around that word gospel all the time, and you might think, like, what is it? That's it, right there. No longer I live, but Christ who lives in me. Christ died for me. I am now him. He rose to a new resurrection. I'm a new person. Jesus died this spiritual death, and I was destined to die. And like Paul, the old me is gone, and the new me is entirely within Jesus Christ, and I am loved and freely solely because of the cross of Jesus. That is good news. I've been crucified with Christ, and I have a new identity. Even though I goof up, Sometimes I goof up magnificently. It's okay. This is not just some pie in the sky, get a get out of hell free card when you die, you know. This is like changing your identity and who you are. You know what comes to mind? Once again, old guy movie reference coming. It's like Matt Damon, young Matt Damon, and Robin Williams, God rest his soul, and Goodwill Hunting. When at the end, the counselor is repeating the same four words over and over to the genius young man who has a terrible self-image. And he's saying what? Over and over. You saw the movie, right? It's not your fault, man. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. And the young man breaks down. The young man breaks down and he is set free. You have been set free. The life I now live, I live in Jesus Christ. You know, um, as popular and uh, prevalent as counseling and therapy is these days, you know, I went to a counselor for over 10 years. Most, if you're a Lakelander, you know, you got to get a counseling. I go to counseling sticker. Um, but, you know, because it's all cool. But the deal is, uh, counseling is more like a workout. It's more like getting a, phys you know, a, a personal trainer, so I hear. Uh, and so um, counseling is psychological and emotional training, remapping, right? You got things stuck in your brain, and they're trying to find some exercises for you to do to get out of that. I'm obviously simplifying here. So you get these exercises, then you see if you can make progress. And, you know, you talk to your friends and, you know, good friends, and you say, hey, man, how's it going in the counseling thing? How's the therapy thing going? And you know what your answer is, right? You're like, hey, you know, it's okay. It's good. I've had that real kind of, you know, aha moment. But most of the time it's two steps forward, one step back. Other days it's two steps back, one step forward. But I'm, in a, I'm a work in progress. Isn't that what we say? Right? I mean, I'm generalizing, of course. I'm working on it. But Paul's not talking about therapeutic progress. 
Paul's preaching an entire death to the present you and a rebirth of a new you inside of Jesus Christ. This is amazing grace. I once was lost, but now I'm found, exclaims the former slave ship captain John Newton. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This was me as a 16-year-old falling on my knees one cold January Monday nothing kind of night. Falling on my knees in my bedroom right in front of my dresser. And crying out, God help me. Expecting absolutely nothing. And all of a sudden, I still can't explain. Man, that was a long time ago. I can't figure out how to describe it because there's no way to describe it. And suddenly you just like... I just became different right then. I knew Jesus was real. It was like, a, it's like you could touch it. One of these days I'm going to figure out how to describe this. Maybe it's not supposed to be described. Maybe it's just supposed to be lived. Something died and something rose up. That same thing happened to Paul that day. He was knocked to the ground and the resurrected Jesus appeared to him and gave him a new life. And Paul changed his name from super uber perfectionist, top grade, young rising star Pharisee named Saul to just plain old Paul. Yeah, God gets in the business of changing names. Gets in the business of changing names. You think you're called loser. You think you're called quitter. You think you're called nobody. And he changes your name to child. You know, uh, years ago, when we were first starting the church, uh, I had this couple, super awesome couple. God, they were great. And they left the church. And we talked and talked, and they said, I just... This whole grace thing you're talking about, there's got to be something that I do to earn my way. I kind of get what they're saying a little bit. They just left like, I just can't buy it. They kind of wanted religion. You know? Like, just act like something. Just could never understand the grace thing, you know? Maybe they couldn't buy it. Maybe I'm just terrible at explaining amazing grace. I don't know. Maybe that's what's going on in Galatian, in the Galatian Christians and their Jewish teachers. They just couldn't grasp the concept of grace and the love of God through Jesus Christ and his crucifixion. So Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 3, verse 1. Go in your Bible to Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. And here you go, man, right in the heart of the letter. Fired up, Paul, here it comes. You foolish Galatians. He's no longer saying, I'm astonished that you're falling away. Like now he's like, woo! He's like, you foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly exhibited as crucified. The only thing I want to learn from you is this. Did you receive the Spirit by doing the works of the law or by, or, or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? Have you started with the Spirit and you're now ending with the flesh like doing good works? Did you experience so much for nothing? You thought I was kidding about Paul being fired up. This is take no prisoners time here for Paul. 
He's like, what is wrong with you? You are back to doing good works. You don't understand grace or Jesus Christ or the crucifixion. You don't understand who is doing this to you. (laughs) I think it's really easy in our day and age that Paul could write this letter to us very fast and he would say, who has bewitched you? And the answer comes back, moralism. Moralism. You know moralism? Moralism kills Christianity. It's not exactly what Paul was dealing with with the Galatians, but for our context and our day and age, moralism is what we're dealing with. Moralism is the enemy of the gospel. I've said it for 25 years around here, and I'm going to keep saying it. Moralism kills Christianity. Moralism makes Christianity worthless. Modern-day moralism is the enemy of grace. Moralism quickly slips into fundamentalism. Who's in and who's out? Who's wrong and who's right? Moralism is the enemy. When my son was young, we put him in upward basketball. Anybody got their kid in upward basketball? Is upward still a thing? It's a really cool program, man. I had to learn how to play basketball. It was really neat. You know, but it's a, it's a church program, and they were having it at the local Lutheran church around here. Really great people. Really neat. And at halftime, at the halftime break, somebody comes out and does a gospel presentation. Like, oh, okay. And um, so this person is passionately describing the gospel, kind of like what I'm talking about here today. And, um, and it's all going great. And then I look around at all the parents and the grandparents sitting there at halftime while someone's explaining the gospel of Jesus Christ and everyone's on their Blackberry or their pager or reading some paper thing and kind of whispering because it was too, you know, formal to just actually just talk over the person. Everyone's trying to be polite. And I'm thinking, all of a sudden I kind of realize, I go, whoa, here's the gospel of Jesus being presented and we're all bored to tears. Me included. Now, you take those same people who are bored to tears and are hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you start talking about some porn addict in their midst, and they get all fired up. Moralism gets fired up. Let some homosexual teach the children, and the moralists get all fired up. Somebody sleep around the church, and they get all fired up. Somebody's daughter's wearing a dress too short, and they get all fired up. A top too low. They get all fired up. Somebody pulls in the parking lot out there in a Porsche, and they get all fired up. Well, they got the gold trim Honda Accord sitting next to it. You know what I'm saying? Somebody having a hard time making ends meet, and they ask for Monday money from the church, and then they go buy a lottery ticket. People get fired up. Somebody vote for Donald Trump. Somebody vote for Joe Biden. It doesn't matter. Somebody's fired up. Somebody's judging somebody. No grace. No love. No gray. Just knowing who's right and who's wrong. Okay, and you're like, well, okay, pastor. So what? Just everybody just run around and do whatever they want and just like Sodom and Gomorrah or what? You know, like just mayhem? Okay. 
probably not wise. Moralism is bad. But what are we doing? Gotta protect the women and the children. Okay, you're right. Nobody wants the misogynists running rampant around the church. You know, my family, now that they're all grown, they make fun of me for preaching over the years here at Lakeland. You can tell they got way too much Lakeland Kool-Aid running through them. And they're like, we'll be sitting at the dinner table and they'll say, like, yeah, there's dad, man. He's talking about, like, hey, they're at Lakeland. We're all just a bunch of beggars telling the other beggars where the bread is. Just a bunch of beggars telling the other beggars where the bread is. Okay, yeah, staff makes fun of me for saying it too. Just a bunch of, I'm telling you, we are just a bunch of beggars telling other beggars where the bread is. You and me, we are beggars. Nearly 50 years of ministry has shown me this. That people are just people. Good, bad, and ugly. Yeah, familiarity breeds contempt and judgment and moralism. You fall into the trap of moralism of who's in and who's out and who's committed a real sin and who's committed a sin that you commit that's actually now not bad, you know, and you kill Christianity. You get arrogant, you get exclusive. The entire fired up letter of Paul to the Galatians is about Christians falling into the trap of the moralizing law. He's fired up. It's killing the little fledgling Christian thing. It's denying Jesus and the cross and what happened. Paul so often mentions is just not about some substitutionary atonement transaction, although that's right there. No, the gospel of Jesus Christ is about a kingdom. And it is about a kingdom all around us with all sorts of people in it. The good and the bad and the ugly. And just get used to it, Lakeland. Heaven is brown. Stop judging others' belief, their colors, their speech. Because that's just what the Pharisees were doing. Fired up. You know when I started the church using one cup and one loaf for communion instead of the shot glass thing? I was raised in the fundamentalist Southern Baptist Church and we had the shot glass. You know what I mean? I was just always deathly scared of dropping that whole darn thing. But we started around here with one cup and one loaf. I think it's pretty obvious why. Because we are all drinking from one cup and one loaf. We are one people. That's who we are. It's a symbol and it's been around since the Last Supper. Will you dip your hand in the bowl with Jesus? Will you drink that, that third cup at the table of the Last Supper? Don't forget the symbol.